that gig economy. That's right. <laughs> that's a gig economy. That's uh, Greek for a thousand economies. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This week on Final Frontiers, we are discussing The Box, parts one and two, episodes 12 and 13 of Alias. Uh, I'm going to... Mitchell? Yeah. Uh, I'm Matthew, by the way. This is Mitchell. This is Mitchell. How are you doing? All right. I'm going to throw it right out there. Uh, I don't like the idea of the numbering of our podcast falling out of sync with the numbering of Alias episodes. Oh, so you mean this is not going to be one giant episode 11? No. It's going to be a, an episode 11 and episode 12? That's right. Okay. Well, no, it's going to be episode 12 and episode Correct. 13. Uh-huh. And uh, so I say we discuss episode 12, Heartbreak. And then we continue with what is technically a new episode. This is going to be fun because... There's going to be no new introduction, no new music. You'll probably have better better notes than I do, but I'm trying to remember. I, yeah, okay. I kind of have... I think the note I have before I made like a little note that says this is part two, I think I can keep the continuity of what happened. You do your best. I'll do my Nobody's best. Nobody's going to be listening to this who hasn't watched both episodes. I hope not. If they are, that's their fault. We're telling yeah. you right now. If you haven't watched both episodes, watch them. watch them both and then listen to this uh, in a sit. We don't know. It could be 45 minutes for both episodes. It could be two hours. We have no idea. We could be here at sunup. Yeah. We have we no idea how this is going to go. Five o'clock shadows uh, on our faces. Okay. Worn out. Wasn't sure where you were where you're going at the five o'clock shadows. <laughs> Why not? That's pretty it's a, it's a good band name. Is it? Yeah. Is it a band? No, you, but... Are it, you saying... Well, I mean, 5 O'Clock Shadows. It's usually like the stubble you get. I know what a 5 O'Clock Shadow is, but... a full day of work. But if, were there a band called the 5 O'Clock Shadows, they'd be like, that's a weird name. I like it. How? What in the fuck context did you pull out that I was talking about a band named 5 O'Clock Shadows? I've never heard 5 O'Clock Shadow used in, in the, the plural. plural. Okay. Yeah. It's a weird thing to, uh, B- to say. A bunch of people with uh, 5 O'Clock Shadows. I, I, I get it. Okay. You sure? <laughs> <laughs> it's clear. I'm gonna. I'm, part of me is convinced you think it's a band that I'm like lying to you about. No, I want it to be a band. Okay, but it's not yet. All right. God damn it. All right. So uh, the box, part one, episode twelve of Alias, directed by Jack Bender. Sorry, this is true for both episodes. Both episodes. Bender and Bender. Bender and Bender. Episodes twelve and thirteen. The box. The story as a whole. Directed by Jack Bender, written by Jesse Alexander and the first-timer, John Eisendraft, who, a bit of a TV history at this point. He was uh, an executive producer on Models, Inc. Oh. 90210, Felicity, Alias, uh, The Blacklist. Uh, He has a writing credit on 31 90210 episodes. Damn. All of them season six or later, which I think is all after Dylan left. Or after that one guy, like, was playing with that gun and shot himself. All right, so he he started writing for the show after Luke Perry left. Yeah, fuck and that if guy. you can't write for uh, Luke Perry, what's the point of writing for Nine Hundred Two One Zero? You do one fucking movie. What's the with, point of writing for anything? You do one movie with Donald Sutherland and Christy Swanson, and you suddenly think you can get more money in an episode. You're talking about Buffy Shannon the Doherty. Vampire Slayer, yeah. <laughs> the titular it's Vampire a, Slayer. It's a weird, uh, deep, deep Luke Perry cut. Yeah, uh, is it really deep? Yeah, a little bit. You might as well be like, you do a movie with. Uh, Bruce Willis and uh, was he in Hudson Hawk? What are you referencing? A Fifth Element. Oh, that's oh come Chris on. Chris Tucker, Aziz, Aziz Gary Light. Oldman. Yeah, Tiny Lister. Uh, oh, Tiny Lister. Yeah, he plays tiny, the president of the galaxy or whatever. Tiny, and then in quotations, I believe Zeus Lister. Yeah. So they took a three-week break between the two parts of this episode. I, think I noticed that to be more involved with all the diligent work you do, this was a 
Was this January and February, these two episodes? Yeah, January 20th and February 10th of 2002. Yeah. So I'm in my uh, my second semester, my senior year of high school. We're fucking the kings of the goddamn I, school. I am trying not to fail out. Well, there are freshmen that admire fingers me. Fingers crossed Rich, that I'm doing okay. Reason. And uh, sitting in art class, everybody's like, you watch Alias? I'm like, I've never heard of Alias. Re- did that really happen? Are you no, no. remembering the past? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wikipedia summary for The Box, part one. When armed intruders take over SD6, led by McKinnis Cole, a man bent on exacting revenge on ex-boss Sloan, Sidney and Jack must work together to save their colleagues, which is in quotes in the Wikipedia summary. Meanwhile, Will Tippin fears that his investigation of SD6 and its link to the murder of Eloise Kurtz, alias Kate Jones, is placing his life in serious jeopardy. Netflix summary. A group of heavily armed intruders sneak into SD6 and take control of the building. Beautiful. Nice. Yeah. Simple, easy, <clears throat> done. All right. TV guide summary. And uh, what, so what we, in post-production, are you adding music to this? Please I am. I'm not de- I've not decided yet. Okay. I can still do it. I think it deserves the hokey, schlocky theme of soap or You Benson? like the soap? Yeah. TV guide summary. Quentin Tarantino begins a two-part guest in, in this tense installment. The Pulp Fiction auteur who nabbed an Oscar for the 1995 film script, plays McKinnis Cole, a former SD6 operative left for dead after a botched mission in Chechnya. Now he's back and ready for revenge, taking the Credit Dauphine headquarters by siege. His goal? Crack the agency's wired-to-blow vault and give the duplicitous Sloan a fatal lesson in torture techniques. But what Cole doesn't know is that the two brave Bristows are on the loose somewhere in the building, cooking up a desperate plan to save the day. Oh, wow. I love that. Anytime the two a, brave Bristows. Anytime a plan is cooked up, you know you're watching a piece of shit. <laughs> no, uh, nobody is used the... Uh, nobody talks about... Are you familiar with Rafifi? The, the, the monkey from uh, The Lion King? Excuse me, the baboon from The Lion King? Nope. Uh, it is a uh, a French film about a, a robbery from the fifties. Uh, okay, which is centered around a a long silent robbery scene where they break into this building at night, pull it off, and nobody said that they cooked up a scheme. Okay, you cook up a scheme in the context of a movie like uh, like Black Dog, uh, the Patrick Swayze truck driving movie. Yeah, what was the scheme in that movie? I thought it was like you know. Pretty, it's pretty linear, as in it's very linear because they have to. You drive a truck from one direction to the other. Not necessarily in a line. There can be uh, angles well, and things. Right. I would say the destination, the idea of it is linear, but the roads can be quite curved. <laughs> Until like a so, weird metaphysical black dog <laughs> discussion. <laughs> All right, so I, 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 I owe you another apology for what second episode in a row. Um, so you asked if David McNeil at that prison. When Will's on the phone with him. Yeah. He's like, did he slam that phone against the glass? They I, added that effect. You're saying that they added it in the recap? No, no, no. I'm saying it was there, but I'm saying like it looked like he, he it looked like they were, because I don't, I don't well, know. Well, now I don't like. know what to believe. I was ready to apologize to you because I went along with. I think he sla- it looked like he was like, uh, like they took a take where he slammed it against the glass. That wasn't used in the episode? No, they took the take that shows him, but they, they added the foley of like the phone hanging up. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, because they, they do that, like, that sort of hard, like, yeah. that cut sound. Right. But still, I don't, I, I didn't mean, remember I could, him. I couldn't uh, see where the phone, uh, where the wire was connected to, so I can't see where, what, what do you call a... Cord? The cord, but what's it, like, the the part of the phone that's attached to the wall in this case? Uh, the base. The base, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't know. I think it's a cradle. The cradle I, th- yeah. I think it. Uh, it's just like a little hook. Okay. Because it's not like it's not going to have buttons where you can dial. But the camera was order a pizza to prison. <laughs> the can Oh man, that'd be such a burn. That would get the warden so pissed. <laughs> oh man, see, I'm cooking up a scheme. Hundred pizzas to Lompoc. You cook up a scheme to uh, miff the warden. That's what you do. Miff the warden. You got to miff that warden. But yeah, so anyway, it does look like, to me, it didn't make sense, but I couldn't see where the cradle was because it looks like he went to slam the phone against the glass that made like the cradle sound and the, like the slamming resonant effect, like the sound was just uh, a musical cue. All right. Well, the point is, is that I didn't remember that happening at all. Okay. So we're talking about it last week, and I'm agreeing with you out of politeness because I'm <laughs> just because I'm Midwestern. Yeah. And uh, inside, though, I'm thinking Mitchell's an idiot. That never happened. And then in the recap, it's right there. He does it. So um, I guess I'm sorry. I don't know. Yeah, it's fine. All right. This whole endeavor is just you humoring me anyway. So why should why should it be any different? <laughs> The whole endeavor of of the podcasting and meeting up and talking into microphones, just like whatever, Mitchell, we'll do it. <laughs> so long as I don't have to pay for anything. So uh, what happens? We open up here, Sydney and uh, and old Jack. They're talking about whether or not her mother's love was ever real for either of them. His wounds are looking a little better, but still very pretty visible. quickly. Yeah. Pretty quickly, he he pulled the the world's largest bandage off his face yeah that gash on his face like it looked worse than uh other gashes that we've been familiar with these are personal i feel injuries. like you're setting up a joke no these are personal injuries not uh vague vaginal uh illusions okay thanks yeah and uh i don't know if you watch it with the subtitles on mm. oh i did we'll talk about forlorn music later forlorn music is playing <laughs> no we're talking about it okay. right now i guess in the broadcast the song was how Can I Keep From Singing by Enya. Mm-hmm. But for Netflix specifically, it was replaced by a song called Arctic Sea by Demetra, oh. which I haven't listened to. I don't know the Enya song either, but I'm sure it's lovely. Did you do the diligence and find out why that switch was? Were there well, I mean, licensing it's, issues? Yeah, was I mean, ASCAP involved? Uh, why, why else would they go through the trouble of switching the music? It's always a licensing issue. Yeah. Oh, well, we... Anya was down with DVD, but she's not down with streaming. You don't, you don't get the the same sweet, sweet residual meat that you get from uh, DVDs than you get from streaming. So I understand that. No, oh, I know, but uh, I don't know. It seems petty. Just <laughs> let people enjoy your music, Anya. How petty are you? It's That's... like you expect. Uh, how can I keep from singing to pay off like Orinoco Flow? It's not gonna. Which is that the Sail Away song? Yeah, it's called Orinoco Flow. Okay. Not a lot of people know that. Yeah, I would have uh, sail away. Is it in? Is it in least in parentheses? I th- sail away. I, I'm sure it is. All right. Yeah. I'm. I'm fine. Uh, uh, alias is home. Yeah. She's tossing family photos into the fire. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't get another. I was looking and like we didn't get another uh, shot of that dick pic photo from the other episode when she goes digging in the memory box. Which uh, it looks like a drawing that's just someone. Drew, it's like a kid drew an airplane, but whoever created the prop was like, I'm going to make this look as much. I'm going to add some balls to it. Gonna, yeah, I'm going to make this foul I'm going to make sure it has a glance. Exactly. They're better people than we are. No, not really. Oh, I mean, not the first guy. The first guy is right have, with us, but the second guy who worked on this episode, not so much. They have a better opportunity than we do, I would say. And uh, throwing photos into the fire. All new photos. As far as I can tell. Wait, did we? So we talked about how Jack is kind of just like, hey, like you feel betrayed. 
I'm pretty sure this woman was just are like using me to kill all yeah. these people. It's like I loved her. Yeah. What am I supposed to do? And Sydney's like, yeah, it was my mother. Yep. You piece of shit. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, listen, Sydney, you're not the only one. Nah, he says like you're not the only one to, to feel this new for the first time. That's right. He does say that. Yeah, because she's like, well, I'm taking all this in right now. I'm like, yeah, I remember when I found out my wife was a spy using me to kill CIA agents. It sucked. It's worse than when Vaughn had to go to four funerals. <laughs> I forgot about the episode <laughs> where Vaughn had to go to four funerals. It's like, listen, Sydney, <laughs> this is hard for everybody. I got to go to four goddamn funerals. <laughs> 405 is shut down right now. I Carmageddon. Make, yeah, yeah, it's Carmageddon. <laughs> Karma getting all over again, to quote Yogi, the late Yogi Berra. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. This is an episode dedicated to Yogi Berra, <laughs> who left us far too soon. <laughs> all right. So cut to credit Dauphine, which is what it's called. Who rolls? Uh, there's a van that comes into the parking like garage. Mackenzie's uh, auto, uh, furnace repair? No, furnace. It's, it's McTiernan air conditioning. There you go. Which, uh, do you recognize the illusion? McTiernan air condition. You don't. John McTiernan is the director of Die Hard. Ah. Which means that this, this this isn't a mere sort of plot similarity in the style of, you know, Under Siege, Die Hard, and an aircraft right. carrier. This is a direct it's a, homage. It's this a, is an homage. Yes. In the style of Tarantino. He doesn't hide his influences. Mm-hmm. He says, comes right out. Yeah. He says, this is what we're doing. Even though he didn't write or direct this episode, I feel like by his involvement. Well, since we're on this thread. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in my notes, but there's a character named Endo. Yes. And the actor Endo, the actor who played Endo is a henchman. He's the Asian guy with like the huge mm-hmm. uh, mustache, bald, but has like long hair in the back. I know who Endo is. Well, he played, he's not Endo in... Wait, is there an Endo in Die Hard? The actor who okay. plays Endo in Lethal Weapon is also in Die Hard. So it's an allusion to the actor who was in Die Hard, but in another action movie. Jesus. So it's kind These of... people are such fucking nerds. It's pretty layered, yeah. Wow. That is dense. He's, he's the... Uh, Gary Busey orders him to kind of... Okay. Uh, electrocute, shock... Right, right, right. Uh, Mel Gibson. Riggs. Riggs. With a sponge? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was going to say S. Die Hard 6 would have been a good name for this episode. That would have been a better. Terrible pun. Would have been better than the box. Yeah, yeah. Which the... uh, was misleading and a little disappointing. It was a huge misdirection. Yeah. So who is immediately visible in this van? Whose big waxy golem-like face is visible in the, in, <laughs> in the McTiernan air conditioning van? It's a special guest star, Quentin Tarantino. Is he wearing a suit? Like a well, initially he's wearing a jumpsuit. Right. As you can see, when he when he runs down the hallway to Dragula by Rob Zombie, <laughs> looking looking like Missy Elliott, just like the the, the saddest fat running that I've uh, I've QT. That, if you're listening to this, I'm so sorry. Yeah, wait, you're, QT. That's what we call each tip? other. Yeah, no QT. What's QT? Quentin Tarantino. Ah, okay. That's if he's listening to the Alias podcast, I'm so sorry. You running down the hallway was fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Otherwise, you and the episode I were think, as expected. I think he's more pissed about that whole being like a tarantula in BoJack Horseman, but whatever. I, I haven't seen that. I don't yeah, know. You should that. watch it. So while this is happening, Sydney says to Vaughn, I went out of SD6. I went out of the CIA. Yep. I went out of all of it. I'm just going to walk in there and just like send out like a long email. Everyone in the fucking company CC'd saying how much I enjoyed my time 
at FD6. Like, Which nobody a, ever believes. Right, exactly. You're never going to see her at happy hour again. No, no. And when she's she, under the impression that you, she can just walk away from this because Vaughn set up, because of that last incident where Vaughn pretty much gave her the out to be like, hey, if I don't see you again because uh, you're a mole, no, no hard feelings. This is through a weird, let <laughs> me put my hands out and not quite a hug. It's but very, that's, it captures that nicely. He just like put us like, I'm going to start the Macarena, but I'm not going to finish it. Like, but you're just going to come to me and just put him on top. It was a weird. It was a Macarena, but it's spelled M-O-C-K. It was the mock. <laughs> yeah. A-R-E-N-A. She asked Vaughn out to a hockey game. <laughs> Kings v. Islanders, Dawn of Justice, which was in February <laughs> 2002. Oh, shit. Uh, Did they do their homework? I they did their homework. This this uh, was a game played a week before the episode aired, so the writers did their best. Right, I and think they, that they they didn't go they which spoiler alert if you haven't watched the show which once again fuck you they did not go to that hockey game. So if you, they were in a hostage if situation, watch, if you watch this episode and we're like oh shit I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna call up uh, my local ticket broker at the time and I'm gonna get tickets for that that game because I'm gonna see. Vaughn and Alias hanging out. You were yeah. uh, you were left holding the bag on that one because one they didn't make it, and two you don't have a time machine. And yeah, and also that never happened. No, no, no one was watching the show thinking I'm going to go to the the hockey game where these two fictional characters are hanging out at. I could see hazarding thirty bucks on a ticket just to I don't know maybe run into Jennifer Garner. Cut back to Will Tippin. He's looking hairy, <laughs> quite quite literally. Yeah, lots of stubble, long sideburns. Looks like he's a an out of work actor, of yeah, the, the uh, less puritanical type. The tips are losing their frost, their frost, and he says, "I'm done with the SD six. Everyone's story. done with this shit. Everybody's quitting. Yeah, they made it through the first half of season one, and they get to the second half of season one. They say, "I'm ready for a fresh start." Intern, interns looking pretty hot. Not looking bad. Nope. I can't blame them. All you cut back to credit Dauphine. Arvin's on the phone. With his wife's doctor, it's like, look, my wife is dying. Can I get can I get her doctor on the phone? And you're like, oh yeah, that's right. This humanized him. Yeah. And then he's meanwhile, looking. the oh, so this, this is interesting. Uh huh. We have you know the whole security guard shuffle of go check that out and uh, what's going on over there. Hmm. Uh, I like the uh, I don't I, let's talk about how actors talk about acting and the choices that the first guard made as he was sitting at the screen watching the cameras. Like, oh yeah, bring him back a coffee, two sugars. There was like an emphasis on the two sugars to kind of. Uh, I thought that sit- was maybe an allusion to uh, the wolf's very strong coffee preferences in Pulp Fiction. I was thinking it was just the actor being like, okay, these two guys work together, you know, they're friends, and all oh, well, this asshole goes on a smoke break and says, I'll get you coffee. And every time I tell him I want two sugars, he always forgets. Mm. So it kind of just created this. This is a real. These two people are real people in the real world. And like, hey, sometimes you're be- your best buddy. Forgets that you want two sugars. Sorry. But then again, I was just, uh, you know, I was really thinking about it. All right. So Arvin recognizes Cole's face on the uh, on the monitors. Yeah. He said, fuck this guy. <laughs> I'm activating the fail safe. Well, and it's, it's not the, clear to us what that is. He has software running. It has a very well, nice. It's a facial recognition thing, which yeah. uh, I don't think was a technology that existed then. No, no technology exists the first time you see it. You know those uh, fancy doors in Star Trek? There's just two assholes uh, pulling With them ropes. Open. Yeah. Wow. To break it to you. you then, I'm talking about the J.J. Abrams movie, by the <laughs> way. <laughs> no, we still don't have it now. So then Cole, which is Quentin Tarantino, mm-hmm. Cole and his crew activate uh, some sort of knockout gas. 
Yeah, wasn't that, that was like a throwback to that was like the best knockout gas scene I think I've seen since the Tim Burton Batman movie. Okay, just people kind I of. I was like, thinking Goldfinger, but it's uh, even better. Like just like that, like oh, I'm I'm fighting it, but oh, I'm fighting it. So as I pass out, I'm just gonna knock over this chair and all oh, the table, all the stuff on the table is being flung off by my unconscious arm. And poor Marshall Flankman, he could he was so close to falling on an inflatable chair. Yeah, <laughs> but instead he. Fell right onto the floor, on, yeah. onto his hands. Didn't he, uh, <laughs> his, his on, hands just, that were... Regular sized hands. His insufficiently sized hands to brace his fall. I think, if anything, his hands were too big. Ah, we'll find out about that. Uh, and then back when at the... On, when he's on the podcast. <laughs> and he... he and we measure he his hands. beats the shit out of yeah. us. Yeah. Uh, back at the newspaper bathroom, <laughs> which is a real thing in my note, back at the newspaper bathroom, yeah. uh, Will... He gets a phone call. Go to your desk. And doesn't that all? Isn't it always the case, my fellow Americans, that when you're washing your hands, someone fucking calls you? Is this uh, that happened to him? Like the phone starts ringing as he's washing his hands. He handled it well. I always I hear the elevator like ding, and then I have to go greet the FedEx guy. Uh, That's my cross to bear. Ooh, yeah. And his assistant says, uh, "Yeah, he got a phone call. It was the guy was really nasal." <laughs> it's like you mean it was like kind of like deep and guttural and satanic. Yeah, because that's what the voice sounds like. It's not nasal. My voice is nasal. You know, that, you know that nasal guy that calls Mel Gibson in that movie Ransom and is asking him about how Gary much... Sinise. Yeah, <laughs> it sounded like Gary Sinise. I think he wants to talk to you. And we're back at the CIA. Mm-hmm. Greg Grunberg. Greg Grunberg. Oh, I have. Did you, I have in my notes. We have another uh, single guy connection. Did we have a single guy connection? I don't think it? we had the first one. Uh, yeah, I think the first one is lying in the uh, cutting room floor, so to what, speak. What was the first one related to? I think we just talked in one of these podcasts about doing a, like, oh, must-see TV Thursday. Y- yeah, we definitely yeah. did, of, of, like, doing must-see TV. Yeah. Every Can week I... we watched the entirety of that must-see TV lineup. About... <laughs> yeah. Friends, <laughs> single guy, Seinfeld, Caroline in the City. We go on through. And we'll, we're going to get some Just Shoot Me in there at some point. You're going to get gonna, some Just Shoot Me, some gonna, Frasier. We're, we're going to meet some... up on Thursdays like we yeah. are now. Start at 8 p.m. <laughs> we're going to do it real time, even though we're not watching it real time. We're just going to pause for commercials, throw on some Wheel of Fortune. And that's when we talk to you about Caroline in yeah. the City and her boyfriend, Dell. Yeah. Well, I think this was, uh, in my mind, the minute I saw him, I thought of the single guy. Oh. Wait, wait is he single guy or is he Caroline in the City? He's a uh, single guy. Oh, okay. But first, let's, let's talk about uh, Greg Grunberg. The fat X-Wing pilot. Oh, okay. I believe that he is the CIA's dwarf hands. That he is, like, he's just running around. He's shitting his pants. He's, uh... He's like the CIA Samuel from uh, Game of Thrones. That's not a character in Alias. I don't think it's directly uh, directly applicable. I guess. I guess not. I think it's he's... It's a metaphor. Meta- that's how metaphors work. You, have to, you make little stretches. They don't have to be directly applicable. I'm not making a metaphor. I'm right. being very literal. He's, He's the CIA's dwarf hands. Okay. And uh, then who shows up? Joey Slotnick. Joey Slotnick. To me. Mr. Robotnik. Oh, you're not doing a rhyming thing? No, Sorry. that's just his that's... name. Joey Slotnick. To me, uh, Bitter Beer Face from the 1995 Keystone Light commercials. That's him? That's him. Ah. Or he was one of the many actors. I couldn't he, he actually find the, the video on YouTube. He was the actual guy who does the bitter beer face, because that's just the guy who can make that contorted face. Well, no, it like was a like a prosthetic. Face. Yeah. Was it? I think they had a real guy, but then that inspired a uh, a prosthetic. So what else uh, What else did Joey Slotnick do? He's in uh, The Single Guy. He's in Twister. He's in The Hollow Man. 
He's in a league of their own. Played uh, played the Waz uh, and Pirates number twenty two. He was one of those guys yelling for number twenty two in league of their own. That's right. right. Yeah. Uh, he's currently, as of this recording, in a Verizon wireless commercial with Rashida Jones. I think they're all talking about football movies, and he's watching Terms of Endearment or something. I don't know. Uh, but iPads. he and Rashida Jones, very good friends. Oh, that's, that's, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Just you brighten my day. And uh, Bitter Beer Face, he says to Vaughn, you're going to meet up with Barnett? I, I think you and Barnett should talk. I talk to the shrink. And you think that this is going to be like a date. Like, no, oh. I, I immediately knew it was the like whatever shrink. I not, thought it was going to be a date. Maybe not because of the way I actually know how the CIA works, but I was thinking of The Departed, of like, oh, you have to go see like the shrink when you get out of the... Sure. You know, you get get from get back from the shit or whatever. You're deep cover. You got to talk to somebody about it. They make oh. you do it, which is good. Do they make you do it? Yeah. Do we know that? I think they do. I mean, from what I know, and I'm saying this purely from what I know about fictional yeah. CIA. I think that's how you know that we've gotten weak as a culture. Yeah. There's no scenes of Dirty Harry on the couch. Yeah. But as the second that like... Uh, Dirty Harry was progressive as fuck. He's like, I don't care if the whole police force is the bunch of Marys. If they can shoot, I want them. Very progressive. Yeah. Dirty Harry. You hear that, Marys? But... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Dirty Harry was on your side, but weirdly kind of uptight about ketchup on a hot dog. Yeah, or a lot of sugar in his coffee. So uh, Jack and Sydney, they work together. How do they meet up, Jack and Sydney? I yeah. guess they're already there. They're doing their own thing. Yeah. And then... Um, Sydney was talking to Vaughn about wanting to quit, or correct? Yeah. Yeah, they're in that little room that's like a... What do you call that? Like a fence? Yeah, a chain link fence. Just like a chain link fence in it where they keep their like AV equipment, so... Yeah. X-Wing pilot isn't fucking around making videos on the side. What I'm talking about, sorry, Alias and Spy Dad. Right. What we're, what we're saying is they're, she goes to talk to Vaughn, and then while they're in the CIA headquarters, they talk about Mommy being a oh, liar. No, no, no. Because she is trying to get back to SD6, and the parking garage is already under siege then. So it's just her. There's the guy in the van with a gun trained to her head. Right, right. So is Jack already in? Does Jack follow her back? It doesn't matter. I don't know. He probably went to go talk to Vaughn about some shit. He's always talking to Vaughn. So they... Uh, no, sorry, not Vaughn. That's Sloan. I can't believe it's not in my notes. That's weird. Anyway. So there are 600 cameras in SD6, according yeah. to the Spy Dad, which uh, seems... Wait, see, I wish I could make fun of the uh, the hyperbole, but... Well, now I'm confused because I thought... Because uh, uh, Spy Dad is taken hostage at some point. But no, he sets up that little map for her. Which is perfectly drawn. We're yeah, going to get to that map. Wonderfully drawn and then wonderfully narrated. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're at least a, a couple of pages away from that map. No, because they go together. They go to, Oh, were that's, they why both? She, that's why she doesn't get shot. We have that little commercial bumper of the guy with a gun. gun and he's like, hey, sitting, like, he, he shows up behind her. And kinda, Spy Dad does? Yeah, and kind of like breaks the whole... Okay. Yeah. So Alias... And uh, Spy Dad, they show up at SD6 together. And uh, what happens? They get in the elevator. What what tips them off? The elevator shuts down. And it only shuts down. Oh, that's right. Yeah. They, it, the elevator shuts down, and they crawl up through they the shaft. power, but they're supposed to, yeah. That's yeah. right. They crawl up because, the, I guess, Jack knows that it's uh, the failsafe has been activated. They crawl up through this elevator shaft. They're walking through the same hallway that, that Cole and his team were running down yeah. while uh, Dragula was playing. Cole and that uh, that boxy suit that just wasn't quite boxy. Enough. I don't think it's boxy. Yeah. I think it's very well tailored. He just has a boxy body. I guess so. I was, a, try, I was trying to be. I was trying to save our friend QT 
the embarrassment and be like, oh, that was a bad, badly cut suit. No, he's uh, he's got a shitty body. He knows he has a shitty body. Is that why he was wearing a plasticine mask? When? Just this face oh. looks kind of plasticine. Yeah, it does. It's a heavily made up. Yeah. I don't blame him for that. Okay. Because he's, I like to imagine that he shows up to the set. You know what? Whatever you guys want to do to my face, go ahead and do it. Because uh, I'm not in control here. Like, I have to imagine that the whole shoot was like that. If you want to put the camera there, that's awesome. Do it. Can we, well, yeah, we'll get to his many, many wordy dialogue scenes in a bit. We'll no, we're going to get to them right now. We're about right the now? fact that he was left for dead makes perfect sense to me. Because it's like, look, you're on this train, and it's you and six other people and Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Who are you going to leave for dead? Quentin Tarantino's way at the top of the list. Yeah. Especially when he's using phrases like tougher than deer jerky. Yep. And he, certain little something, something. Calling people baby. Yeah, he's like, uh, he's obsessed with being like a, like a cartoon uh, black guy from like a 70s cartoon. I mean, that's Quentin Tarantino. I know. And it's like, it's, it's humiliating. And uh, I'm like, you're not. Just not getting that you don't use the hard R, you use the GA. Oof. Yeah, well, even uh, then, don't use it. Yeah, exactly. Just back off. Stop saying and, it. He's working for the man. Yeah. Who's the man? They're trying to figure it out. I bet Quentin Tarantino has some answers about who the man is. You think that was an ad lib uh, vis-a-vis your black man in a black cartoon? It could be. It could be that it was an ad lib and now they had to work it into the mythos. Ooh, there was many ad libs. That whole, uh, uh, I don't want to jump ahead, but uh, yes, I was feeling that a lot of Not to the second episode. A lot of this was Quentin being like, you know, my movies are really wordy, so I'm just going to give like exposition a shot. I went like fun catchphrases a shot. I don't know how I feel like they were writing for him. I feel like he would have done a little better than tougher than deer jerky. Uh, Some of that stuff just like, like just to put it out there, not a huge Tarantino fan. So I've seen all of his movies right when they come out, like, but mostly so I can criticize them accurately. I wish I wish there was a problem with the air conditioning in this apartment. So you can see the hat fly off my head (laughs) and up to the roof. But he's a, uh, he's nothing if not a a distinctive writer. And I feel like that if he was writing his own dialogue, it would have stood out to me as being... Instead, it seemed like... He's true to his It seemed like a 90210 writer who was trying to write Tarantino-y dialogue. Yeah, it was really... Uh, just... Uh, it was a lot of labor. And he, I guess he was doing the best with what he had that sounded fun. And I like, think he was fine. Kitschy bad guy. He was totally fine. So Vaughn is meeting with Barnett, who's played by Patricia Wedig. You know her from 30-something. I know her as being Billy Crystal's wife in City Slickers. Yes, that's where she's from. Uh, married to Ken Olin in real life. Ken Olin is who? On Alias, Ken Olin is a director on a number of episodes. She's good in what yeah. she does. I mean, she's only in this for like about 10 seconds. I believe that she made the mistake of marrying Billy Crystal. Of course. Yeah. All right, now we talk about Die Hard. You have to cast the Alias cast in all the Die Hard roles. Yeah. Can you do it? I have a list. Oh, do you, you try I've, this? I did it, and I was successful. Uh, his dad is... Who's Don- he? His. His is the German word for her. No, it's in, not. In the terms of the terrorists in Die Hard being German. East German, but go on. I would say that uh, Victor Garber, spy dad, is John McClane's wife. And we have... Who do we have there? We have uh, Hans Booby. Who's that guy? I said Alice. Alice. So Alice is Marcus Dixon. Uh, who is Dwarf Hands? Dwarf Hands be Nakatomi. Nakatomi is got, the building. It's not a uh, not a person. Is that the Japanese guy? 
That's Takagi. Oh, that's racist. Why why would you make up a Japanese name? His name is Takagi. All right. Fine. Uh, <laughs> damn. See, I didn't think of this. So you're putting me on the spot. You're slowing down. You're slowing down the action of this podcast because now I'm thinking, um, and I quite, I, I honestly don't know. I only, I just knew, like, all right. Uh, well, you're getting cut off. Yeah. Cut me all right. Off. So my diehard casting. Sorry, sorry, you, I wasn't listing candy bars. <laughs> <laughs> you probably could have done it faster. Yeah. So uh, Sydney and Jack are both John McClane. Oh. Cole, Quentin Tarantino, mm-hmm. is Hans Gruber. Mm-hmm. Arvin is Takagi, the Japanese business guy who won't cooperate with. Right. Uh, uh, Mantis Dixon is Holly. Jean McLean's wife, Holly. Yep. Holly Gennaro. Oh, that shit's hidden. Uh, well, it's in the directory of the building. But, yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's all you know. Dwarf Hands is Ellis. Uh, Indo. Dwarf is, Hands is not Ellis. Dwarf Hands is Ellis. Because Dwarf Hand, he, st- he stands up and he's like, oh, I think I'm getting Stockholm Syndrome. And then he gets punched immediately. Right. He's the guy who, who tried to use a bit of, uh, used a light touch to win over the terrorist but alice had that had the cocksuredness that he knew what he was doing and, i think and i think dwarf hands did to do what he did but he was also like i'm gonna end this and every holly was like don't do this john mcclain was like they're gonna fucking kill you say you don't know me that was marcus dixon he told spy dad i'm gonna fucking one up you on this i know that you're you're ahead of me on the chain but this is a fucking emergency i gotta be the one that puts cia at earthlink.net into my blackberry and i'm gonna fucking Which, email him <laughs> so endo is theo is endo because he's the he's the nerd in the basement vaughn is sergeant powell carl winslow carl winslow yeah uh, reginald val johnson yeah uh will is william atherton just by default because uh they're he, both whoa, journalists whoa, 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 whoa. he has nothing to do he has nothing to do with the subplot he has if you have to, do... to assign him to anyone he's you he's, don't. he's william at you do and you i don't. did He's William have. Atherton. Cole ties up Arvin in the conversation room, which is SP6's <laughs> torture chamber. Yes. And then he brings out the titular box. The titular oh, the box. box. The box. Finally, the box. What's going to be in the box? He's got like a very, very Harry Carey-esque uh, set of glasses in it. What's my first impression? <laughs> All I know is that Arvin does not want Cole to open that box. I can't. Arvin has... I. So we've uh, had some fun at the expense of Elanon Balaban. But uh, I had to say, uh, he had some balls, some balls of steel in this episode. Oh, Ron Rifkin's awesome. Yeah, always. Yeah, like there's never like an episode where I'm like Ron Rifkin really blew it. But like, the, the, invariably, the, he's fucking scary, and he's. But in the face of awesome. like, I don't know, like maybe he forgot to, uh, maybe the chemo Shave. appointment. You know, like you know, he's trying to get his wife's chemo scheduled, and he because she could be worried about that, which he should be. But he's still like looking at this guy like, all right, fuck you. And can yeah. we say that SD six sucks? Yeah. But like, that. but it's honest. It's honest. Like, it's not significantly more evil than the CIA. No, but the CIA. It's I mean, like, from we, I don't know. Right. Did, did SD six uh, get crack and spread it around the black right. community? But like, you got an SD six. It might have. We don't know. <laughs> oh, I mean, we don't know in the show, but we know what the CIA did in the real world. Right. Like uh, SD six. It's got Tarantino and dwarf hands. It's got the tall man from the Phantasm. Yeah. It's got Jigsaw from the Saw movies. <laughs> it's got all this great shit. And then you go to the CIA. And it's like a fat X-wing pilot yeah. and fucking bitter beer face. <laughs> Some old man who it's, like we have forty-five seconds to yeah. sign this contract. It's got and he's like, Devlin. Then we got a pen. Oh, it's shit, got Patricia Wedig. 
It's just like the CIA sucks, and also that fat, fat X-wing pilot. He shit his pants. Oh, that's which right. We don't dwell on. No, maybe it was I mean, flourish, but when you're like that uh, concerned with getting a fucking pizza instead of doing your job, you're gonna shit your pants at some point. It's he said that. Yeah, he said. By the way, I shit my pants <laughs> to the tune of thirty pounds of feces. <laughs> that w- that's verbatim dialogue. Pick from up alias. Pick up a very fat small dog, and that's how much feces <laughs> is in that man's pants. Back at SD6. Back where the action is. Dixon, he's strong and silent. I didn't even recognize him as being Dixon at first. He lo- he had this look on his face like, damn, that was just some mm-hmm. tough-ass shit. Sydney and, uh, and Jack, they go to, like, what is it? It's like an electrical closet. Where do they find that shark magnet? The shark magnet? Uh, yeah. It just happened to be there. They say, oh, this will come in handy. Yeah. Because Marshall, he has a... Some sort of uh, what have you disruptor? He has, a dev- he has the MacGuffin du jour that will help them stop. Well, I, well, Jack notifies Sydney that hey, the reason well that it was important that like the power went out and the elevators came back on because the elevators were going to go back to SD six mm-hmm. was because it was indicative that the failsafe had been triggered. And if someone goes into the vault while the failsafe is triggered, the entire building blows up. Kablamo. Why does Mantis fake a seizure? What prompts the? He sees. Um, uh, Does he see the fishing line? He's sending out an SOS. Okay. He's using the... the blinking, he's interrupting uh, the signal on the camera to, to send a blinking signal that he needs more time, by time, because Alias is fishing for that compact. Yeah. And he, she's making a bunch of noise, knowing what a, the TV dinners aren't fucking loud. <laughs> she's making a bunch of noise up in those vents. Here's... And uh, so there's like a guard that's walking over there. So Mandis Dixon has to do All right. his best. He's, he's had uh, experience out in the field faking heart attacks. Like he did, I think. A lot. That. Yeah. So he's got a lot of, uh, he has to interrupt a lot of cocktail parties. So uh, <laughs> Alias can get into the back room. To... He just knows how to spoil parties. Yeah. And, um, and then that's why uh, we finally get a full body shot of, of Dwarf Hands. Yeah. We get an answer. What's Dwarf Hands' deal? Turns out he's just a he's, kind of a guy who's stocky. Yes, yeah, stocky. Not in the George Costanza way, but just in the... Anticlimactic. Yeah. But that's the thing. That's why I disagreed with your diehard assessment as him as Alice, is he gets up to buy Alias more time. Because he was the one that saw the SOS via Red well, Light. Well, it's not a direct comparison. I'm right. just saying he's the guy who made a fool of himself trying to save the day. Well, okay. I'm saying... That I Nobody say, else could be Ellis. I say Mantis was the one who thought he was being more, more heroic than he was. But to counteract that with my own observation, his stupid I'm going to email the CIA gets the attention of the actual CIA. So he kind of saves we, the day. Are we Are we there yet? We're not there yet. We might not be there yet. I don't know. Look at your notes. That's important to me. It's uh, We're not there yet. I think we should... Is part two... Should we start with part two and the box? Is the box unveiled in part two? No, the box is unveiled in part All one. Right. You lead the discussion because I am... Do you have some thoughts on the box? I got lots of thoughts on the box. All right. Well, first, after Dwarf Hands makes his little scene, he says he's having a Stockholm Syndrome thing. Yeah. Which, to me, it seems like if you're making a uh, this weird diehard homage episode... You should, should have said Helsinki. Thank you. Yeah. So obvious. They missed it. Let's see. What's in the box? What? I, don't, I don't really have it. He, well, he has like, it's just needles. Right. Needles covered in pepper juice. I, get, I don't know. It's, it's some uh, type of Louisiana hot sauce that the devil yeah. spit in. and just Like just... He, he squishes the needles in Old Bay. Yeah. And he's going to shove them in your hands and it's going to suck. Yep. And that's kind of, that's kind of the, uh, what's in the box? 
which was so disappointing. I mean, I didn't know what was going to be in the box. My notes say... What do your notes say? Finally, notes, you refer to some notes. My notes have knockout gas scene best since Tim Burton Batman, TB Batman. Standard die. TB as, stands for Tim Burton? Yeah. Okay. Tim Burton Batman. All right. There's, there's plenty of Batman nowadays. You got to be specific. There's too much Batman. There's too much Batman. Uh, <laughs> standard die hard and lethal weapon reference. 80s action movies. This is 80s action movies. All Not just die hard, but it's it's all over the place. Titular box. So this is when the box makes its uh, first appearance. What do you have to say about that? That's relevant to what we're discussing it's, right now. Uh, that's me like, all right, here's the fucking box that the goddamn episode is named after. All right. And then I immediately want to have QT shut the hell up about the needles of fire. Like He's just like talking about oh, them like we give oh, a shit. I have this uh, in my notes. Jesus Cole likes to talk. This is torture enough on its own. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Oh, I should stay about uh, these episodes. I started watching around 1130 or midnight, mm-hmm. and I was so tired <laughs> that I could scarcely imagine finishing. Somehow I finished. I took notes. My memories of most of the mechanics of these episodes gets pretty fuzzy. We've had this discussion. It's no matter how well you pay attention. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're doesn't like, matter. What the fuck is happening? You do your best. All well, anyone is doing is their best. I think the it's o- like grief. Yeah. <laughs> I think the homage to the '80s movies help at least have some type of like. All right, I know what's happening. Mm-hmm. It's this scene in the the Die Hard movie. It's this scene. They're trying to get into the vault, and there's like a number of seals to get through. Yeah. Arvin, he gives up the password right before the torture begins. Seemingly. Then we cut to Will in a restaurant where I guess he thinks he's meeting. Uh, he's, he thinks he's meeting someone about some. Uh, oh, a real estate. Story. Yeah. Yeah. And it turns out it's some dewy young redhead. This is weird. What's this about? Will? She starts talking immediately about McNeil. And, tipping uh, is just tipping into women. You can't turn around without tipping into a woman. Tipping in the puss. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, thank you for completing what I was alluding to. Yeah. And later she follows him to work, which is he doesn't seem to be that annoyed about that she just shows up at his office. Yeah, I think he made it really like that restaurant scene. He was like, uh, "People are dying. I'm kind of I'm kind of terrified, and I'm done with this. You don't want to know what I'm talking about." And then she, yeah, mm-hmm. she just shows up at his work, and he's like, "She, if she can follow you there, who else can follow you there? People that would fucking kill you." Well, I probably has freaked out about it. It's a few years before LinkedIn, but if it, somebody wants to find Will <laughs> Tippin, they can LinkedIn. they can find Will Tippin. Well, Will Tippin is is one of those people that's like, oh, gotta check LinkedIn. SD six Cole's guys. They got a motion detector like an alien. Oh, that was fun. That's why. That's where I got that eighties. I think that was why I had that eighties reference. Ah. I'm like, oh, this is a total. Like, let's just get all fucking eighties with it. E- we got e- we got Endo. We got Die Hard. We got a fucking motion detector. Even though Alien is from seventy uh, nine, but I'll let it go. Uh, I, I would think more aliens because you're seeing that a lot in aliens. It's in that's five meters. It's in the room. You're not reading it right. Mm. I'm fucking reading that's, it right. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then they start st- shooting at the air duct. Yeah. Just like in Die Hard. And then the episode. And aliens. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And then the episode ends with Sydney hanging under a fan. It's a fan hanger. How often does that happen? So I, I made fan hangers happen so infrequently that I, I think we have to it. stop and define right. what, in fact, a fan hanger is. All right, what is this? It's when you're hanging from a fan. Okay, yeah, and that is the end of the first episode. 